Season 4 of my podcast. Today, my guest is Roshna Balakin, who is a civil rights attorney and a partner at Lovi and Lovi. She represents clients in a wide range of civil rights cases. Prior to joining Lovi and Lovi, Roshna was an associate at Sidley Austin. Hi, Roshna. Welcome to my show. Hi, Vedan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really fun. I interviewed Vandana and that was really fun too. I heard about that. That was that sounded like a really fun interview. Yep, and this will be the same. Thank you. So Roshna, I'm curious to know what does civil rights mean? Civil rights in the United States means something similar to human rights. In our country, it means the right of people to be able to participate in their democracy and in their society equally, free from discrimination or unfair treatment by the government. So it can include the right to vote, which should be distributed equally and fairly, regardless of color, or national origin, or sexual orientation, and the right to access housing without discrimination, the right to an equally good education, and the right to be treated fairly in the criminal justice system. So by the police, if you get arrested, or in a trial, if you are going to trial. Accuses you of something if you didn't do it, or like, it's like, and they discriminate against you, then why do they create the law if they're doing it? That's a good question. The United States has a written constitution that protects every citizen in the, and non-citizens in some regards in the United States to be free from discrimination by the government. But not everybody follows those rules. And so we need to enforce those rules and protect our rights through uh, lawyers and government officials and other people who can advocate. Why are people deprived of civil rights? There are many reasons um, why people end up being deprived of civil rights. Most of the time, you tend to see people being denied civil rights based on skin color. So uh, in this country, we have a long history of racism, primarily against Black people uh, and against other non-white groups. And then you, what you end up seeing is people's civil rights be deprived on the basis of their skin color. For example, in areas where there is a predominantly um, Black population that may vote a certain way. Uh, some elected officials enact rules that make it harder for you to vote if you live in that area. Uh, Similarly, if you live in a certain area that is uh, heavily policed, where there tend to be a lot of arrests and a lot of crime, you might find yourself arrested 
And you might find yourself arrested more often than if you were not black. <clears throat> and so those are some of the reasons why people experience violations of their civil rights. Why don't the police follow the rules? In this country, the police system is set up locally. <clears throat> so there's hundreds of thousands of police departments and even more police officers in the country. And many, many police officers follow the rules, they protect us, and they keep us safe. Uh, but there are some police officers, just like in every job, there are some people who don't follow the rules. There are some people who get used to breaking the rules or doing things a certain way, but it's not always fair to the people that they're working with or the people that they're policing. And so I don't know the reasons in their minds or in their hearts why some police officers don't follow the rules. But what we know is that just like in every job, there are people in law enforcement, whether it's police or jail officials or even prosecutors who do not respect the rules and do not treat everyone fairly and the same. Example, one police officer isn't following the rules. Why can't another one who follows the rules arrest that police officer who isn't following the rules? That's an excellent question. They are actually supposed to say something. In the Constitution, it protects your rights to not be treated unfairly. And one of the uh, claims we bring sometimes in lawsuits is a failure to intervene. That's a claim against the bystander officer, the officer who sees the other officer doing something very improper and fails to stop that officer and protect the citizen. So they are supposed to, but you can imagine in a police department where people are working very closely together in a high stress environment where they're out there fighting crime, experiencing a lot of scary situations, and they need to work together very tightly and closely, you can imagine that it's hard to be that person, that one officer who speaks out and says, hey, that made me uncomfortable. I don't think you should have done things like that. So there is something in our police departments called a code of silence. And the expression means an unwritten agreement or pact to support each other if you're a police officer without speaking out and uh, reporting or tattling on the police officer. And in fact, when you, if you were to report that one of your fellow officers did something bad, a lot of times you can face retaliation and the other officers start to not trust you. They treat you badly. They make fun of you. They might exclude you from things that you need to be part of at your job. So to speak out is takes a lot of courage and it can be very difficult, which is why it does not happen very often. People should do it more often. They should have the courage. I agree. Why do wrongful convictions take place? A wrongful conviction means a conviction of an innocent person, a conviction of someone for a crime that the person did not actually commit. It can happen for a few different reasons. 
Sometimes it can happen by honest mistake because of mistaken identification. For example, if you see somebody, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody run into a store and grab some things and steal them and run out and you see their face for a few seconds and then they run away. What the studies show is you will probably be mistaken or misremember many of the details of that person's face. The human memory is not perfect. And we make mistakes when we try to make an eyewitness identification. Cross-racial identifications are even harder. So if a white person is trying to describe what a Indian or black person look like, or the opposite, a black person or Indian person describing a different race, studies show that those identifications have even more unintentional mistakes. So some wrongful convictions happen because the victim of the crime or a witness to the crime picked the wrong person. But there are other times when you have a wrongful conviction, not by accident, but because the people investigating the case or prosecuting the case didn't follow the rules and they manipulated the evidence to help them get a conviction. They may have believed that the person they're pursuing actually did the crime or is guilty, but they didn't quite have enough evidence and they wanted to arrest this person and get a conviction. And so I have seen, unfortunately, many cases in which a witness was pressured into signing a statement or saying something that wasn't true or wasn't fully true, or the person being accused of the crime was physically or mentally pressured into signing a confession that's not true, and this false evidence gets used to convict them. But then why don't they just check the CCTV cameras of the store? The CCTV camera is a great idea if it exists. Unfortunately, things like a video caught on tape, that doesn't happen in every case. So a lot of cases rely on what people are just saying, witness testimony. There's no photograph or physical evidence that proves your innocence, unfortunately. That's really sad. I feel sorry for the people who who are gone to jail when they didn't do anything wrong. It's very sad. I have represented many people who've spent many years in prison for crimes they didn't commit. And my clients are very brave and strong and they have experienced so much sadness and they felt trapped for many, many years. And when they get out, they're very grateful, but it's also pretty hard because they have been living in a prison cell for so many years that it takes a while for them to figure out how to adjust back into regular life. What's the difference between a jail and a prison? A jail and a prison are very similar. In some ways, they could look the same, but the jail is where you're sent while you're still under arrest and have not yet been convicted of the crime, once you're convicted, typically you move to a prison. So people stay in prisons for longer times in jails, but in a lot of ways, they look and feel similar.
Normally, we believe that sending people to prison will prevent crimes. Is that true? I don't believe that's true. Some people do believe that. I do not. Crime happens for many reasons in our country, mostly because of poverty, lack of jobs, access to good economic opportunities, lack of health care, lack of mental health, too much policing. And unless you fix the reasons for the crime, you're not really going to see crime go down. So putting people in prison doesn't really reduce crime. Uh, what reduces crime, studies show, are giving more resources, more money, more jobs, more opportunities, more services to the communities where you usually see a lot of crime. Also, remember, Vedan, people that go to prison are usually treated very badly in prison and have a very tough time there. They're constantly afraid of getting hurt by another inmate. They might be in solitary confinement, which means they're alone without any human interaction for many, many hours. They don't have good doctors or nutrition, food to eat. They don't actually get rehabilitation services. So when they get released, it's like they're worse than when than they felt before they went to prison. So prison actually can make the situation a lot worse, in my opinion. If that's true, how do you get people to follow the law? Great question. There are a lot of people who study this and say that instead of sending people to prison, maybe you could send them to treatment for the problems they have. For example, if someone is addicted to drugs and some of the crimes they commit are of or related to their addiction, then instead of sending them to prison, you might help them not commit more crimes if you send them to treatment facilities. If you get and then when they get out, if you give them access to counselors and other services that help them make good decisions. Uh, so I think giving people the basics that they need, food, jobs, housing, healthcare, education, giving them good services and helping people make good decisions will be better for reducing crime than the approach of basically giving people very, very long timeouts and very cruel timeouts. Because just like with parenting, I don't think timeouts work as well as other approaches. And I don't think when you do something wrong as an adult, that taking you and locking you away is always the best approach. There may be situations where someone is so dangerous and so unwell that there are very few other options. But most people who commit crimes do not fall into that category. In Singapore, everyone follows the law. There's almost, there's like very little crime. And I think that's because they, they're just a bit scared of the government. Because over there, it's like the punishments are really harsh. Yes. So having a very severe punishment could make you not want to commit the crime. I also think it's hard to make the United States like Singapore because we are such a huge country. There's mm -hmm. so many more people here 
than in Singapore. And so the amount of money you can spend to keep the United States like Singapore would be more money really than there is available or than the government chooses to spend. And I also think some of the history of some of the history of our country with slavery and with other racial issues in this country have set certain groups up to have more obstacles than other groups. And I don't know if that's true in Singapore, but it does make a big difference here in the United States. What can people do to promote and protect civil rights? People can do many things to protect their civil rights and protect other people's civil rights. One is to learn your rights. Know what your rights are in getting housing, in your voting rights, school and education rights, and your rights with police and in a criminal proceeding. Another way you can protect your rights is to vote. Vote for leaders who care about civil rights and protecting the right to vote. And another way you can protect civil rights is to speak up. If you see somebody's rights being violated and you feel like it's safe to do so, speak up and find somebody who can help. In fact, I feel like that's what happened with uh, Mr. George Floyd, who you may have heard about. Vedant, did you hear about George Floyd? Yes. Well, his rights were violated and he was, his death was extremely sad and tragic um, because a young woman who was watching what was happening was brave and decided to take a video of it and share it so that people could know what happened. She set off a chain of protests around the world that have made people more aware of civil rights and of these issues. I don't know. It's just so sad. It's so sad what happened. What made you choose to be a civil rights attorney? What did you want to be as a child? When I was a child, I really liked creative writing, writing stories about different things, and I thought I would become a writer. As a lawyer, I actually do a lot of writing, so I do like to write. I don't write creatively as much anymore. I also loved nature and wanted to be a naturalist, somebody who studies plants, animals, and insects and helps understand and protect the ecosystem. Once I went to college, I became interested in a couple of different subjects. One was um, law and law as a tool for social change. And I also became interested in international politics, like the study of how different countries interact with each other and when do countries decide to go to war, things like that. Uh, I thought actually after college I would do, go into international relations, but as I s- took a job in that field at a magazine and I realized I really actually wanted to work directly with regular people and help people who needed an advocate. And so I thought the law would be more rewarding than for me than doing international relations. So I went to law school and it took me a few years to find the right job that would allow me to help people and feel like I was doing something valuable for society. But I was, and I was grateful when I got an opportunity to work at Lovie and Lovie. I did do really interesting work at Sidley Austin too. I worked on a death penalty case 
and some other cases. And all of these experiences allowed me to realize that I wanted to work in civil rights and social justice. I, and I really want to become a lawyer too. I've interviewed so many lawyers and my father's a lawyer, so I really want to become a lawyer. That's wonderful. We would be lucky if you became a lawyer. The field would be lucky to have you. I think that um, you can help a lot of people who don't have a voice when you're a lawyer. And it's pretty cool to know what the rules are and what your rights are, which you all, which you have to study when you become a lawyer. So there are other ways to help people besides being a lawyer, for sure. There are lots of different jobs where you can help people. Like One of those jobs is lawyer. <laughs> what are your hobbies? Well, I like to play music. Uh, I learned piano and violin growing up, and I still practice from time to time today. I like to read. I like to go for walks in nature. I like to chat with my friends. But my main hobby, I would say, is spending time with my family, with Mimi and Ravi, and playing with them and doing things with them. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, this was really fun. Dear listeners, follow my Facebook page, Curious Vedan, to get updates on my upcoming episodes, to listen at leisure on your phone, and get notified about future episodes, subscribe by searching for Curious Vedan wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also listen to my show on CuriousVedant.com. Thank you for listening to Curious Vedant. And don't forget to rate and leave comments.